When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey, everybody, it's Dan. Before we get to our Tuesday podcast, I want to tell you about a couple of things here real quick. The first is Football Insider. You want access to those stories on cleveland.com slash browns for our Football Insiders. This gives you access. You want to be a part of our texting service where uh, me, Mary Kay, Scott Ellis will text you throughout the day with news analysis. We do uh, a post-game show for our texters. We do uh, we have a texter on for our picks pod on Fridays. You want to get involved in that football insider all you got to do is go to cleveland.com slash browns click on the blue banner at the top of the page and you'll get all the information for that the other thing i want to tell you about is coming up you can join terry pluto at our medicare guide webinar on october 22nd at 2 p.m the webinar is presented by cleveland.com and medical mutual and will help simplify the complex process of finding the right medicare plan for your needs Terry, together with our experts from Medical Mutual, Western Reserve Area Agency on Aging, and Discount Drug Mart will guide you through the process and answer your most pressing questions. Go to our Cleveland.com Facebook channel and click on the Medicare event for more details and registration. On today's pod, Mary Kay Cabot, Doug Lay, Maurice, and I will answer four questions about the Cleveland Browns. Here we go. Hey, everybody. Welcome to our Tuesday edition of the Orange and Brown Talk podcast. I am Dan Lobby, joined by Mary Kay Cabot. Mary Kay, how are you? I'm doing great today, Dan. How are you doing? Doing well. And also Doug Maurice. Doug, how are you? Doing well. Okay. We are going to ask four questions about the Browns here on a Tuesday. Now, just so you guys know, we are recording this at, it's about 440 here on, on Monday. And I say that because Mary Kay, I'm about to ask you, what can you tell us right now about this David Njoku situation? Well, on Monday afternoon here, uh, you know, a source told me, uh, and it's, it's a reliable, trusted source told me that uh, David Njoku still would like to be traded by the deadline. Now, uh, David has since tweeted saying something like, I never told Mary Kay that I wanted to be traded. And that's true. He, he's not my source for the story. Um, but uh, but it, it has been, you know, told to me by a good source that he would still like to be dealt by this November 3rd deadline. Uh, he wants to go somewhere. It's my understanding uh, that he would like to be a starting tight end, maybe at the very least be, you know, the number two. And, and right now it's kind of crowded. It's crowded in the tight end room here. And he had one catch in, uh, in, the, in Pittsburgh and he had one catch the week before that. And, you know, he's got some contract years coming up. He's got extensions. He's got uh, big money to think about here down the road. And I think he would like to go somewhere where he can be a featured tight end and, and get some playing time. And I think he just doesn't believe that that's going to happen here. Okay, so yeah, I mean, there's a little bit of a semantics game going on there with with his tweet. I think he um, he didn't exactly deny it. Well, we'll put it that way. Um, he just denied that he wasn't the one that told you. So that's where we are as we ask this first question: What should the Browns do with David Njoku? And this became a very interesting question because, of course, when he got hurt in training camp, 
Harrison Bryant began to emerge. I think we've seen uh, with the way the Browns use Bryant, especially with some of the motion they use with him and some of the, the ways they try and get him the football, they really do seem to like him. And he's really kind of hit the ground running. There's, there hasn't been a big adjustment going from playing at a group of five school to playing in the NFL. Um, he seems like he's ready to take on that load. And that, of course, adversely affects David Njoku. So what should the Browns do with David Njoku is the question here. And I, I kind of said this back in July. They obviously disagreed with me. I, I kind of still believe it. If he wants out and you can get a legitimate asset for him, whether it's a player or, you know, at worst, maybe a day two pick, I, I would I would do that if I were the Browns. Can you get that? I don't know if I would get that. That's the problem. I, mean, it's I don't like, know if I would get a day two pick. David, so, so David and Joku would like to go somewhere and maybe be a number one tight end or at least a number two tight end. Is there a team that would like him to come and be the number one <laughs> tight end? I mean, it's a two-way street here. He's so interesting because he's so young. He's 24. And I think the hard thing for every franchise and stuff like this, and you know, we have a Baker Mayfield discussion coming up later, is you just you don't want to be the team that gives up on a young guy too early. And then you see him go on to do great things. But sometimes it's just like, come on, man. Like, this is not it. So, you know, they signed the big money tight end. They drafted the rookie tight end who seems to be doing more things than Njoku does in this offense. And so is it fair that whatever the question, I don't even remember specifically the question for this Njoku conversation now. Is it okay if my my answer to all of it is I don't care because (laughs) it doesn't matter because I don't think he's relevant to them winning games and I don't think they'll get that much for him. Now, listen, everybody in the world – can spin some kind of safety or linebacker trade. Listen, if you can get a linebacker or safety that would play snaps on this team at a position where they need some help, great. Find me the suitor that will sign up for that deal. Maybe some other team has a young safety or linebacker who's the equivalent of Njoku. I'm here for it. I just don't know how realistic it is. You know what? I mean, I, I sort of feel like there could be a situation out there, and I don't know what it is yet because I haven't really had time uh, to study it yet. But I do feel like there perhaps is some situation out there where this could be a win-win for the Browns and for David and for the other team. Maybe there is a linebacker. Maybe there is a safety. Maybe there is a cornerback that is, you know, just needing a new home. And David gets a change of scenery and everybody lives happily ever after. So I think I would do it. If I could find that guy, uh, that player that could come in and kind of shore things up in the back end of the defense, I think they're fine with Steven Carlson as their third tight end and Austin Hooper as number one and, and Harrison Bryant as their number two. I think they can get the job done with those guys. So it really is a little bit of a surplus. But there's another thing to consider here. Andrew Barry is a new GM. Uh, I think he wants to maybe perhaps set a, a little bit of a tone and not have it be where you can kind of like get your way out of town. Um, you know, I think he, you know, he needs players, agents, and teams to know that he's going to do business a certain kind of way. Uh, so it, it's got to be something that, you know, that is good for, you know, it's good, obviously, for the Browns and, you know, and everybody can get out of it what they need. I would do it if they can find the defender. So, but do you guys, I mean, you guys are smarter than me on this. Does he have value? 
Do you actually think does he have value with the he's a young, interesting player who has not been particularly productive and healthy as of late? Does he actually have NFL value? I think so. I, I think he does actually. I think he's a red zone threat. I think he's a deep threat. Uh, I, I think he still needs to concentrate a little bit, but in the right situation, I think he can be a serviceable starting tight end. I do. Interestingly, he did play 23 snaps against Pittsburgh, which is two more than Harrison Bryant. I, yeah, I, I just looked that up. Um, yep. And, and I'm, I'm actually curious. I, I haven't gotten to the, the fourth quarter rewatching that game yet. I'm curious how much of those were, you know, garbage time versus, versus real snaps. Um, yeah. You know, as far as the value question, I think you're going to have to acknowledge that you're probably going to take a loss on this. You know, you, you drafted him in the first round. So you're not going to get nope. a first round pick. You don't think you're going to get a first rounder for a joke? <laughs> right. <laughs> So you're going to take a loss. I mean, if this were the NBA, we'd be sitting and looking at every bad contract in the league and thinking, oh, does this guy come in and help, even though you have to pay him for the next four years and $30 million a year? Uh, you know, that that's not quite how the NFL works, although I think there are some GMs, including Andrew Barry, that kind of take some cues from the NBA. Um, you know, I, there's probably someone out there who might not be the perfect fit, who might be a little bit too expensive, might be a little bit unhappy where they are and another team just wants to get rid of them and maybe you can make that happen. But I do think it, it will be a hard deal to make if you're going to kind of stick to your guns and say, Hey, I need a, a second or a third round pick at, at worst for this. I, I do think it's, he would be an interesting guy from another team's perspective, because I think as we analyze all this, this collection of young Browns players, and this was the guy that they traded up, late in the first round to jump up and get him and that kind of thing. The, the change in coaches and the change in GMs and all the flux, you know, we talk about it, how it applies to guys like Baker Mayfield and Miles Garrett. It feels to me like Njoku could be a guy who really suffered from that. And maybe there's a world where if he had gone to a more stable franchise, he would have developed better with the same coaching staff. And if you think you are that stable coaching staff and Hey, this guy's been through three head coaches in Cleveland Let's go try to fix him. I, I, I could see how a team would view him that way. Well, the other thing to consider is um, that he missed 10 games last year with the wrist injury uh, when he seemed like he was kind of ready to take a step up. And then this year, uh, he missed three games with a knee injury. So he's missed a ton of games. And he really hasn't had uh, the opportunity to get rolling in a season and show what he could do. Last year was just it was a lost year for him. And like you said, he still is young and I, you know, he needs to concentrate a little bit better on catching the ball. Uh, but I think he, I think he can get better in that regard. Uh, the funny thing, not the funny thing about it, but I mean, the interesting thing about him for a third tight end, he really moves the needle. I mean, it's amazing uh, how much interest there is in David Njoku. I mean, you know, we write about him or tweet about him or even podcast. One of our biggest podcasts, I think, over, over the off season was a David Njoku podcast. But um, for some reason, he draws a lot of attention. So I think there would te be teams that would be interested. All right. So there's our, our David Njoku question. I mean, we did just spend a ton of more time talking about, uh, <laughs> talking about David Njoku. All right, let's move on to the second question and someone else who certainly garners a bunch of attention. And it is uh, local attention today, national attention everywhere. We, uh, PFF put out an article about this guy uh, and, and being a little concerned about him. So that's our question. Number two, what are you most concerned about with Baker Mayfield? You know, right now and also just moving forward, 
that you're a little concerned he might not be able to fix. Mary Kay? You know, I, I'm going to say right now, um, you know, seeing the field and, and just not throwing that pick, reading the defense and, and not throwing interceptions. He's falling back into uh, some the pattern of last year when he threw 21 interceptions, which was second most in the NFL behind Jameis Winston. And with a young quarterback, and I, I think you do have to worry about this, that, you know, it starts to get inside of his head a little bit. The more you talk about him throwing interceptions, the more he worries about throwing interceptions. Uh, so, you know, Baker's game was always built on moxie and confidence and flag planting and all of that. Uh, you know, so you just can't have him playing scared. You know, he just needs to just dig that foot in the ground and get that ball out and, you know, just sling it out there. I mean, that that's, that's Baker. Um, but now, you know, they're, they're reading his eyes and he's making mistakes and he is throwing some bad interceptions. You know, his last, whatever, his last five, yeah, his last four quarters, he's thrown four interceptions. So um, that's the, the thing that concerns me the most is him maintaining his aggressiveness and the part that makes him so cool and such a playmaker balancing that out against not making those mistakes. Yeah, I, I actually think those are almost two separate things. One is the throwing the picks, and the other is the reaction to throwing the picks. And to me, the reaction to throwing the picks is actually more the problem. If, if he threw, came out and on his first pass, threw it right in Minka Fitzpatrick's hands and had a pick six. But then when he came back out on the next drives, he was throwing other balls down the middle of the field and hitting guys that were there. It feels like the effect of the mistakes, which is what you talked about, Mary Kay. I just, I still, and and in just talking to and, and reading and just being aware of a lot of smart people who analyze the game film, I still am stuck sometimes on, does he not see something or does he see it and he's not willing to throw it? And I do think sometimes he maybe doesn't even see it or that he's seeing ghosts and that it's, it's, he thinks, okay, so I got picked because Fitzpatrick came down and helped out on that route. Now I'm worried that there's help that's not there. And the result is I don't throw to an open guy when there isn't a second defender, but he thinks there is. And so I, I and, and I'm on the wrong page with Kevin Stefanski on this. I can always, I can live with the interceptions personally. If there's a, if there's a, a payoff for it. All right. You got picked. Okay. Come back out and throw a big touchdown pass. And there's never, there is very seldom that payout with Baker right now. And I think if you go back, when you go look at the all 22 from a game like Pittsburgh, I think you see there's some guys, there's guys running open sometimes, and he's just not throwing it. And I think the reason he's not throwing it is because of the pick. And that is more concerning to me than the pick itself. Mm-hmm. There's, I mean, there, there's actually a great example of that really early in the game. You, you don't have to go very far. The second play of the game, the first pass play they called for him, he scrambled for five yards, but he was protected. Austin Hooper was running a little route, uh, I don't know, maybe five yards, turned around. Baker pump faked to him, but hesitated, didn't want to throw the ball because Devin Bush was kind of nearby, but that's a throw that Austin Hooper is going to catch. And instead, Baker scrambled. Then the next play through the pick six. And what was funny is later in the game, Ben Roethlisberger, almost the exact same play, didn't hesitate, got the ball to Juju Smith-Schuster. It was, you know, four or five yard gain. And and those are the things that when I kind of went back and really looked at the Steelers game, it was, you know, I'm still working my way through it a little, but there are throws there that he's just hesitating to make. And he's either not seeing them 
or he's just hesitant to throw them for some of the reasons you said. And, you know, one of the, one of the concerns I have going forward is our team's going to start taking this approach and maybe they have, maybe they just haven't been good enough to pull it off. Their team's going to start taking this approach where they're going to hem him into the pocket and they're going to make sure that he can't run these bootlegs and that he can't, you know, get out of the pocket and throw on the run and try and make him beat them from the pocket. You know, that's such an old school kind of football guy thing to say that, that you got to win from the pocket. But I wonder if teams are going to maybe make Baker try and beat them in that way because he's not athletic enough like a, a Lamar Jackson or a Russell Wilson or Josh Allen to, you know, escape if he's kind of hemmed in. He's, he's got to have a lot of that sort of designed into, into what he does. And you certainly don't fear the play action as much if the run game isn't as strong. And when there's no Nick Chubb and no Wyatt Teller, that plays into it too. And it's like, right. well, why? Of course, why, why are you worried about the run? Play the play action. If, you, if they pop you on the run, you're not as scared of the run right now. Kareem Hunt's still good, but you're not as scared as when you have those two tailbacks working together. And, and when Baker's not playing off the run, that he becomes a different quarterback. And Dan, you're exactly right. Well, I think the last two weeks, um, you know, it, it's been difficult to to determine how much they miss Nick Chubb because they have played two of the best run defenses in the NFL. I mean, the Steelers have a terrific run defense. You almost have to look at what they were able to do and wonder how much better. Now, of course, your one-two punch is going to be better. Nick and Kareem's way better, of course, than just Kareem. But I don't know if there were going to be a whole bunch more yards there anyways. They were only giving up 64 a game for second in the NFL. So I don't know if that would have helped. I think another thing that's, that happens with Baker is whether, whether he, he's not going to admit this, but I think he does have it in the back of his mind. I've got a lot of people out there that I got to keep happy. I've got Jarvis to keep happy. I've got Odell to keep happy. I've got my new friend, Austin Hooper, who I really like a lot to keep happy, right? I mean, he's got a lot on his plate for, for a young guy. He, those are three Pro Bowl players. And he knows, we know it because when he was mic'd up, we heard him say, you know, I love you guys, be patient, right? I mean, we know that in the back of his mind, he feels a certain internal pressure to help these guys be what they are. And they are thousand yard, 70 yard catch, you know, six, eight, nine touchdown guys. And he knows it's not happening. And, and I think that's getting inside of his head too. And I think all of this, I don't, I don't think anybody listening to this, I don't think any Browns fan who watches any game, you don't have to break down film. I mean, this is all out there for anybody to see. And then the only question is, what do you do about it? So do you work through it? Do you decide what? So that's, that's where we are. I mean, it's like, nobody would be like, no, who, is there anybody out there listening to this? It's like, oh no, I think Baker's playing very well. Is, that, is there a person in the world who thinks that right now? It's just a matter of what do you do? Can you fix it? Can you help them get better? How do you help them get better? What's the balance of the future versus the present? All that stuff is very interesting. But at the moment, the, the initial diagnosis is, is indisputable. Right. And your best path forward right now is still, hey, let's keep working with Baker. Let's keep getting him better. Let's keep trying to turn him into what we want him to be uh, at quarterback. And then you just kind of go from there, I, I guess. All right, Mary Kay, you mentioned a name, and that's going to bring us to our third question, uh, Odell Beckham Jr. Our third question uh, has to do with him. So there were two separate moments that got caught on camera 
on Sunday. One, uh, he had his O-line gathered around and he was kind of trying to give him a little pump-up speech or, or something like that. And then later in the game, um, and this is probably the one that we're really more kind of talking about, uh, had his cleats off on the sideline, was jawing with fans, jersey pulled up. It was a very emotional Odell Beckham Jr. on the sideline. We kind of know this is what he is. He, he did stuff like this with the Giants. You know what you're getting when you bring in Odell Beckham Jr. But you also know, guy's a pretty good teammate. Guy's going to play hard for you. You know, you, you kind of take the best of both worlds. So the third question is, did you have a problem with anything Odell Beckham Jr. did on Sunday? You know, it's a great question. I think I'm going to say no. Uh, because this is a football team uh, that has some players on it. Like you said, you know what you're getting and they have such high expectations and such uh, an overwhelming amount of passion. And sometimes that spills out. That's who Jarvis and Odell are. These guys, they want to go win a Super Bowl. Okay. They can, they're here together. They're best friends. They want a Super Bowl. And when they're getting blown out, I mean, just absolutely beat up by another team. It is very, very difficult, especially right now, uh, for Odell to take that. Jarvis has stayed a little bit more calm. I mean, last year we saw him losing it plenty on the sidelines. But for whatever reason, that game just got to Odell. And he just, it was, he was just all over the place. I don't have that big of a problem with it because sometimes a rant like that might be, you know, just what you need to get a team a little riled up. So I'm going to say no, because I think you can rein in passion. I'd rather have too much passion and try to harness it a little bit than not have enough. I found it interesting over the years. I, Jarvis and, and Odell are such good friends. And I think we've all sort of written and talked about that as like, Hey, you know, they're such, they're so tight. And like, they bring out sort of a, a competitiveness in each other. I've always wondered sometimes like, can it go the other way ever sometimes of like the two of them get together and like, man, what is going on? And all of a sudden, could they together their passion feed in a negative way? So I'm always curious about that, but I agree with you. And as soon as show me snaps where Odell and Jarvis like aren't trying on the field because they're frustrated. And then that's, I think, when you get worried about it. You know, there's a lot of times, lots of guys get mad on the sideline. Tom Brady gets mad on the sideline all the time. Nobody ever seems to have a problem with it. So uh, I don't, I, Odell is passionate. I think it's fair to treat Odell differently. I think Odell is a different kind of guy and it's part of why he's great. I mean, it's like, if you try to change Odell Beckham, it's like, okay, well then you don't get it. You don't get the good stuff either. This is who he is. So I don't have a problem with it. And I, to me, I certainly have not uh, this year seen anything where, they're not busting their butts out there to try to win. Jarvis is crawling off the field like he and, and then coming back in the game last week, you know, and and Odell, I think, is out there running routes and sometimes feeling like he's open and not getting the ball. And I'd be frustrated, too. So I think I don't have a problem with it. But I but I I do think it's fair to like be on alert for it. Right. Because you just understand because they are so passionate and Cleveland. It, I mean, it can be hard. So I absolutely think it's smart to watch for it, but I don't think anything this season is anything that's a problem. Yeah, I, I mean, I'm, I'm having trouble finding issue with it as well for a lot of the reasons that, that you both said. Um, yeah, I wish I could give a more interesting like counter take, but, but I just, you know, I can't. The only thing I can really say is, ah, you know what, maybe keep your shoes on, something like that, just to sound like a dad, I guess. 
how about you just keep your shoes on while you're on the sideline? But, you know, uh, like you said, Mary Kay, these are both very emotional players. And we see it from opponents sometimes. They will talk to these guys and they will try and get in these guys' heads a little bit. And I, and I thought it was interesting in the second half against the Colts. They were getting after Jarvis a little bit in that second half. And that was also the half when he had the two drops. Uh, you know, that's kind of how teams attack them. But then they're also both such dynamic players. And I think that emotion kind of drives this team a little bit when they're, when they're feeling good and, when, and they're playing well. I, I think it's, to steal Jarvis's phrase, it is contagious. And I think you see that on the football field. And the other thing that always stands out to me is whenever I've talked to any of the other Browns wide receivers and I ask them about that room, they always mention Jarvis and Odell first as the guys like leaders in that room. Like those guys have really, it seems, taken ownership of that wide receiver room and they really are leaders in that room. And it's without me even really saying like, hey, are those guys leaders? They, I mean, guys will just bring that up. And, and I think that's important too. And, you know, I, I think the, the thing that we do have to look at, and you touched upon it briefly, Doug, too, was that there are times where I know he feels like he's open. I mean, not, not that I've talked to him about it. I just mean, like, you can tell. There are times he feels that he is open and, and Baker just is struggling right now in the passing game. I mean, last week he was open twice in the end zone and, and Baker missed those throws. So um, I think there is a little bit of that too, that um, even though he supports Baker and Jarvis said yesterday, we're riding, we're riding this out with Baker and those guys are really, really trying. I think there is some sense of, you know, we're like up here and you're not up here yet. And there's a little bit of sense of frustration that, you know, they need him to come up the learning curve as quickly as possible. For our podcast listeners, Mary Kay had her hand in the air <laughs> higher for the receivers and lower for Baker. Sorry about that. I'm, I'm glad you explained that to me because I was, I was looking at another window here getting ready for our next question, which is number four. What will the Browns record be in a month? So let's figure out what these games are. Uh, I'm going to extend it four games. That's a month here. Um, I believe the buy in there somewhere yeah, i think maybe the buy is in there so the browns play at cincinnati on sunday then they host the raiders on november 1st then it's the buy november 8th uh, they host the texans november 15th and they host the eagles november 22nd so they play at cincinnati then they get a little three-game homestand um you know what let's add one more let's add the jaguars to this because their next really huge game is when they travel to Tennessee on December 6th. So we're going to go five games here at Bengals versus the Raiders versus the Texans versus the Eagles at the Jaguars Thanksgiving weekend. Mm -hmm. Browns are four and two right now. What is their record after these next five games when they are heading to Nashville to take on the mighty and as we speak undefeated Titans, what is their record? So you messed up my stat because you added the Jaguars in there. And I wasn't, <laughs> well, let's hear the stat. That. Let's hear the stat but before we, we get the Jaguars. I, I did put this in my column Monday morning, the current record of the teams, the four teams they've beaten so far this year, Cincinnati, Washington, uh, Indianapolis, and Dallas is eight, 14 and one. And the next four games, Bengals, Raiders, Texans, Eagles, their combined record is six, 15 and two. So the next four are even worse by record than the first four. If you think well, all they do is beat bad teams. I'll give you the good news. The Jaguars aren't helping that. 
and the Jaguars aren't helping that. <laughs> so my answer is uh, 14 and two. Is that math workout? <laughs> I don't know. Is that the right? Listen, so. if you're adding the Jaguars in, I'll say eight and three. They're eight and three. And then we can have a great big discussion. And when they get their doors blown off by Tennessee, if when they fall to eight and four, if they're a bad team or not, I, I, I mean, that that's where I am on this. This is why I'm so dismissive of, yeah, there were bad things at Pittsburgh. I just don't think it means they're going to lose a bunch of games in a row. Is it not time for the Browns to benefit from an awful schedule? They have the easiest schedule in the league the rest of the year. Great. It does not count against you. You're fine. Go win the games. I mean, I think it sounds crazy. I think eight and three. You're lucky I'm not saying nine and two. I think eight (laughs) and three is very doable because I don't, I think they could play mediocre and win a couple of those games. And guess what? I think they're going to play pretty good again in some of these games. So I'll say eight and three. I really like this stretch actually. Just not just because it's, you know, it's not the Ravens and the Steelers, uh, but your, your book ended here with the Jaguars and, and the Bengals. But I kind of want to see this, you know, the Raiders are a team that eh, they're okay. They also beat Kansas City. The Texans are a team that have an awful record. They took the Titans to overtime. They were two point conversion away from winning that football game, putting it away. You know, the Eagles, pretty awful record, but two point conversion away from tying Baltimore yesterday. I really want to see the Browns against these teams that are sort of in that, you know, I think, I think on Sunday, I called it kind of the mucky middle of, of the NFL and, and look record wise, the Texans are not in the middle and the Eagles are not in the middle. I think at least those teams might be a little better than their record indicates, but they're still beatable teams. And I want to see the Browns. I want to see how the Browns look against them. Are they significantly better than them? Are they on a similar level as them? I, I want to see how they look in those games. And just as a point of information, Aaron Schatz just tweeted out this afternoon that the Browns at four and two are 26th in the league in DVOA right now, which is kind of near the bottom. Yeah. The good news is it's still early-ish, at least, in DVOA ratings. There can be a lot of variance week to week there. But yeah, that's not great. Mm-hmm. You know what? They have been beating the teams that they're supposed to beat this year. And when I look at these next five games... I, I do see that they can go four and one in these next, in these next five games. I, I, I feel that they can do that um, as long as they continue with the formula that they were using to beat the teams that they can beat, which is, includes a lot of takeaways. I mean, these takeaways uh, were definitely a major reason that they have the record that they do right now. It covered up a lot of ills on offense and defense. So if they can continue to do that and what it takes to do that is to have a quarterback that's going to throw some interceptions and you got to be able to punch the ball out a little bit uh, here and there. And I, and I see uh, some opportunities for that coming up. Uh, so I would say there's a chance that they could go for and one over these next five games. I mean, the, the teams that I see them, you know, probably losing to the rest of the way would be, uh, you know, maybe Baltimore, maybe Pittsburgh, Tennessee, maybe the Raiders, um, but yeah, I think there's still a lot of, a lot of victories in their future, as long as the takeaway train, uh, doesn't dry up or whatever it, a train wouldn't dry up as long as the, uh, <laughs> as long as the takeaway train keeps chugging along. <laughs> Maybe one of the, those, those tanker cars on the train. Dries <laughs> yeah. up. I didn't give you a record. I'll tell you what, I'm going to play into, uh, somebody in our reviews, um, accused me of actively rooting for the Browns to lose. Um, 
I'm I'm not gonna say four and one. I, I think they'll go three and two. I, I which is fine. I uh, you're fine if you go three and two in this stretch, and especially because you're gonna finish strong because you got the Jaguars and the I know they're in this stretch, but you got the Jets and the Giants and mm-hmm. whatever. But I you know this team has sort of been taking care of business all along here, and I just think the natural life cycle of the NFL is you're going to slip up at some point when you shouldn't slip up and, and, and you're going to lose to some team that like everything just goes wrong that day, even though you're better than them. And so I think, you know, the Browns will probably lose one of these games legitimately, you know, maybe a really tough game with the Raiders. And then maybe they slip up against a team like the Texans that can score a little bit or the Eagles that can score a little bit, because I do think the Eagles are starting to, to trend upwards a little bit. I don't know if that'll start turning into more wins, but I think they're starting to trend upward a little. Um, so I'll say three and two, which is fine. But what would that put them at? Seven and seven and five with four seven games four. to go? Seven, seven and four. Mm-hmm. Seven and four. Yeah, it's yeah. English major. <laughs> no, I mean, the, and, and if we're wrong, listen, we'll be back on this podcast saying we were wrong. It's just a matter of, I mean, I do think it's, the, the thing the most frustrated fans who are listening to this and who are absolutely frustrated by Sunday, I think you're, is because you believe everything that went wrong Sunday is going to keep going wrong, that Baker's on a, get a downward trend, that defenses are figuring out how to play them, that they are missing Nick Chubb, that this back seven is going to keep giving up points and they can't really stop anybody and they haven't really stopped anybody yet this year because they didn't stop the Bengals. The only time they stopped anybody is when Dwayne Haskins kept throwing it to the Browns. So and he's not a quarterback anymore. So, so listen, I, I get that, but I just don't think that's going to be the case. I think they, they have won despite their flaws. It doesn't mean they don't have them, but you have to realize that teams with flaws win games in the NFL. There are not many teams with no flaws. So this is how it works. I think they'll continue to get better, and that includes Baker. I still think that. So if we're wrong and, and we're sitting here five games from now, and instead of being – eight and three or seven and four, you know, they've gone one and four in this stretch and now they're five and six. Then, then we'll be talking about that the whole time. And maybe the, the, the naysayers will be right. That, that just is not at all where I am right now. And I, I still think this team has a lot of good parts that can get better. I think that um, the reason why that game, that loss in Pittsburgh, uh, you know, loomed so large. And, and, and a lot of it was because of the, you know, the score, but it's because this is going to be a tight race. I mean, the, the Ravens and the Steelers and the Browns are going to be very, very bunched up until they get to the end. And I, I do think it's going to be a very, very tight race, you know, not just for them, but for that, you know, for those wildcard spots. And, and that's why it does loom large. And that's why it is important. And I think that, um, you know, this is a year that everybody expects, or at least I expected, I set the bar that they needed to try to make the playoffs with that extra spot. And so I think that's why it does feel so important what happened yesterday, because if you can look that bad in a football game, it sort of shakes the confidence of, of everybody that thinks that this is a playoff team this year. I think Pittsburgh and Baltimore go, both going 13 and three. So I don't think it's close. I don't, I don't, that race is over. They're combined 10 and one. Bye-bye. Goodbye, Baltimore and Pittsburgh. Good luck fighting for the division title. The yeah. Browns are going for the six or seven seed, which is fine. But I just think, I just think we all saw they were on a different level. And 
I just think the Brown, you know, if you, they're going to be fighting the Colts, who they beat head to head. They'll be fighting the Colts for a playoff spot in the wild card. They'll be fighting the Raiders, who are three and two with whatever the Chiefs. That's a big game. That's a big wild card game when they play the Raiders. That's who they're fighting. They might be fighting, might be fighting Miami, might be fighting teams like that. But I think they can fight teams like that when it comes to trying to get, you know, seed five, six, seven in the AFC. Right. And, and just to kind of reset that a little bit, when you when you sort of look at the standings, and, and I saw somebody tweet this today, I thought it kind of put it in perspective, right? Pittsburgh, you, you almost write them in pen. Baltimore, you write them in pen. Kansas City, you write them in pen. Tennessee at this point, you know, that's four. Depending how you feel about Buffalo, and, and we're recording this right as that game is starting, that could be a fifth. But someone's got to win know. that division anyway. So whether Buffalo yeah, is exactly. got to be a division so, winner. Yeah, I mean, you're fighting with the Colts, the Raiders. I mean, the Dolphins are sitting there at three and three. I, I don't know if that's going to continue. You know, New England is two and three. So it's going to be a fight and it's going to be a race. This is this is kind of one of those years. I hate to bring this year up to Browns fans. It's, it's kind of one of those years in 2000. This isn't like last year where eight and eight would have made the playoffs easy. I think this is going to be one of those years like in 2007 when the Browns got left out at 10 and six. You might have to have a pretty good record to even be in the discussion, you know. Hopefully nine and seven would make it in a seventeen playoff field, but you might have to win nine or ten games to get in this year. And the Browns certainly, even in my scenario where they go three and two over the next five, nine wins is still right out there for them, and ten wins is certainly a possibility. Oh, yeah, definitely. All right, that'll do it for this edition of the Orange and Brown Talk Podcast. Make sure you're subscribed wherever you get your feed. We got a new guy to watch the tape coming up later today. Doug, do you know the topics yet? Uh, Baker. Okay. <laughs> all, always a, all Baker. That's always a safe way to go. And then, of course, we'll have our daily pods. Our picks pod is every Friday, and we also preview the Bengals as well. And check out Football Insider. Big blue bar at the top of the page at cleveland.com slash browns to get all that info. Doug and Mary Kay, I'm Dan. Thanks.